This is Henry Lopez, co-host of the How a Business podcast. Do you want to be your own boss and start your own business? Do you aspire to be an entrepreneur and enjoy the freedom of time and location? So what's holding you back from getting started? How do you know if you're actually ready to be your own boss? I would like to invite you to join me for an online program that will help you clearly understand if you are in fact ready. And if you're not quite ready, what do you need to do to get there? To find out more about my online program, please visit thehowofbusiness.com for more information. Welcome to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez, the podcast that offers practical advice and tips on how to run and grow your small business. The How of Business helps aspiring entrepreneurs and small business owners achieve their definition of success and overcome challenges that get in their way. This podcast series focuses on the everyday common business issues, challenges, and opportunities that face the small business owner. So here now are your hosts of The How of Business, David and Henry. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today, all the way from Australia, is Madeline Cohen. Madeline, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Henry, and it's wonderful. I'm very much looking forward to sharing some terrific ideas with your um, listeners and to being able to give them a bit of a, an Australian edge on entrepreneurship. Fantastic. I'm, I'm looking forward to it tremendously. Let me uh, give everybody a little bit of background on you. Madeline is an author, a business mentor, a certified trainer in neuro-linguistics programming. Not exactly sure what that is, but she's going to explain it to us. And lateral thinking entrepreneurship, which we are going to dive into in this episode. She's a successful business leader and entrepreneur with 25 years of experience with a deep generosity in how she shares her most innovative communication strategies and experiences in leadership development, communications, marketing planning, commercialization, sales, business, and financial success. Her approach is innovative from my perspective in that uh, it's entertaining and above all, incredibly practical, which is always what we're looking for on this show, the how-to of things. Uh, Madeline is heavily involved in the healthcare industry and is the owner of Cairo Family Cairo Sports, a very well-loved chiropractic clinic in Sydney's eastern suburb, that's in Australia, and it's been established and in business for more than 20 years. Madeline is also the founder of The Lateral Thinking Entrepreneur, where she's helping her clients transform their thinking, emotions, and behaviors to start and grow their businesses. She's also the author of two books, The Lateral Thinking Entrepreneur, 33 Principles for Expansive Leadership, and in a similarly titled The Lateral Thinking Entrepreneur, 33 Strategies to Transform Your Business Success. So in this episode, Madeline is going to share with us her very interesting entrepreneurial journey, how she got to where she is today, and we're going to dive into this concept of lateral thinking entrepreneurship, and we'll define that, explain that, and see how we can apply that to our small businesses. As I mentioned, she lives in Sydney, Australia. So once again, Madeline Cohen, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Uh, you've always lived in Sydney? Um, yes, I have. I've lived in Sydney since... Um Actually, I was born in Canberra, which is the capital in Australia, and I moved to Sydney as a, as a young girl to go to school 
And, and then unfortunately for my parents, I didn't go back to Canberra. So they stayed in Canberra, but I, uh-huh. I lived in Sydney. And, and I think that's actually quite key because um, moving to Sydney at a young age while my parents were still in another state, which is about a four and a four and a half hour drive away, did create a level of independence for me at a very young age. So um, I think that has something to do with entrepreneurship as well. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Uh, Did you have siblings? I actually do. I'm one of five children. Oh, wow, okay. Yes, yes. It's actually quite a funny story because um, I have an identical twin sister and we are absolutely identical. Um, she's, um, She's also very entrepreneurial in how she does her business and and she works in cross-border trade. And um, not so long ago, she turned up to speak at a very big cross-border trade function in London. And they said to her when she arrived, we're really sorry, Natasha, but we didn't receive your photograph, your profile photograph. But don't worry, we found a beautiful image of you on the internet. And so she, <laughs> she got up to do her speech. And of course, she had to confess that that was in fact her twin sister whose photograph was up on the screen and it wasn't her. So I have an identity twin sister who is um who's also an entrepreneur and my three older brothers are also very uh, entrepreneurial in how they do business one of them is a, a professor of architecture who has has really been very innovative in how he uh does things my my eldest brother is a solicitor a, a lawyer and he um does a lot of international um trade work and has been recognized and sits on some boards of the wto so he, he's very involved with that and and my my middle brother is a um, is a petrol mogul, and he's very much involved in entrepreneurship through the fuel industry, and he helps a lot of service station owners actually to develop their businesses. So, very entrepreneurial family. Indeed. And where, where do you think the influence came from? Were your parents entrepreneurs? My father was an entrepreneur. My mother was very much an at home mum, looking after. Um, looking after the family, but my late father was very entrepreneurial. He arrived in Australia on a ship at the age of 16 with nothing more than the clothes on his back and a very talented man in terms of um, how he worked as a chef. And he ended up being mentored by some really terrific people in, in Sydney before he moved to Canberra to set up his own restaurants down there. And, um, yeah, he set up his restaurants and developed bigger and bigger businesses, you know, following many of the principles that I have learnt from him that I share through my work. And, um, you know, he ended up employing a lot of people and giving a lot of people terrific opportunity. Um, He then decided to retire. And and very sadly, um, not soon after his retirement, he... um, he passed away very suddenly from a massive heart attack. And it was really sad because I said to him, don't retire because I said, I, I don't think that you're going to have, you know, any interests that will really keep you involved. And, and, you know, I was really afraid that something like that might happen to him. And sadly, it's exactly what happened. So, yeah, um, it's such a delicate point. But do you do think that that lack of something that challenged him might have had something to do with it? I think it's not necessarily just the lack of something to challenge you. Um, I think that particularly for um, a lot of people, you know, one of the challenges perhaps with getting into entrepreneurship in the first instance is uh, the fear of a lack of um, human contact. Because often in the early stages of starting your own business, it can be very isolating and you can be very much on your own. 
And so one of the things that I, I think was very difficult for my father at that particular stage of his life was that he had gone from having human contact with so many people all day, every day through his work environment to very much being in control of his own time and and with that, not having as much human contact. And so I think that was a, that was a really big deal. And I do see that a lot with people that I mentor and that I work with that one of the issues about taking the next step into entrepreneurship is this worry and this fear of isolation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Meaning when you first become an entrepreneur? Absolutely. You know, yeah. you've got a lot of things going on. Um, there's a lot of um, business challenges that you're experiencing. It's not like being in a big corporation where there's, you know, lots of people around there to um, talk about your ideas and your fears and the things that you're working on and, and get some team involvement in what you're doing. A lot of entrepreneurs wear every single hat when they first start their business and they have to because that's the way that they're going to make it viable. But in in doing that, um, it can be very isolating. Absolutely. That's been my experience and my experience with other entrepreneurs because most of us don't have around us a circle of friends or family members that are also entrepreneurs. And so it, it becomes very isolating because those, that circle of friends that we have had or had and family, they simply don't understand what we're going through. Absolutely. And also the other thing is, is that, you know, with entrepreneurship, you know, one of the things that I think happens so often is, is that, you know, people have misunderstandings about what it means to be an entrepreneur and what it means to run your own business. And so the quality of advice that you get from family and friends in that scenario is often extremely poor. It's often very detrimental to your own self-esteem as you're establishing your own business. And you, and you tend to get into a scenario where you doubt yourself and you doubt your ability because these people haven't experienced what you're experiencing. They don't have the courage to do what you're doing. Um, and therefore, you know, with that as well, you, you're not only isolated, but the, but the limited amount of advice that you are getting is often advice that is fraught with caution and not necessarily helpful and expansive in you achieving what you want to achieve. Yeah, absolutely agree. That's been my experience. In fact, like you said, it can be, although they're not purposely trying to be malicious, it in fact can be very detrimental and undermining because they come at it from that, they're bought into that perception that a job is where security is, a career. And so they they look at it as you're taking this huge risk and they're trying to help you, save you. Absolutely. And that that is that is so true. And you know what? If we, if we kind of think about, you know, reverse engineering, and, I, and we will get back to talking about my career and how my career started, but if we think about reverse engineering, the very premise that working in an environment that you are employed and you're working with somebody else is, to me, a high level of insecurity as opposed to directing your own resources and being able to create something that is actually yours that gives you the opportunity to expand beyond all limits. That, to me, is where the security is. And so that very premise, when you start talking to people who believe that a job is security, creates a great deal of conflict because for me and the way I think laterally reverse engineering what I do having a job is actually a very high level of insecurity. Yeah, could not agree with you more. So I, I would hope, uh, I'm hoping you could tell us the story of how you kind of first came to that realization very early, earlier than most people, certain, certainly a lot earlier than myself. 
in that first job you had and what you told your boss about retiring and never having a job again? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's a really funny story. So, you know, I'm now 46. Um, I have been an entrepreneur now for 26 years, which is which is really very unusual, but I have not had a paycheck from another employer in, in 26 years. And so, you know, I, f- I finished my schooling, you know, having worked as a, as a young girl before I moved to Sydney in my father's restaurants and in his little cafes, really getting behind the counter and, and interacting with people and understanding sales and understanding how to upsell. You know, I was extremely good at making donuts and selling a milkshake alongside my donuts. And, you know, I realized that through that process, a lot of that involved my personality. You know, here I was, you know, as young as, um, you know, six and seven years old going into my father's business because I would go in there and visit with him on a weekend and I would be behind the counter and my father would proudly be saying that, you know, my, my daughter is really great at when the donuts come out, you know, putting the sugar on them and, and, and handing them over to you. Um, and, I, and I would say, and I can make an amazing milkshake as well. And of course, you know, these, these customers would think, okay, terrific, you know, we'll have a milkshake also, but really I think they were just trying to appease me. But the bottom <laughs> line is, is that I was learning how to upsell and how to communicate with people in order to get their commitment to buy something. And I was learning how to do that at the age of six or seven. There's not very many children today that have that same experience. So I I then finished my schooling in Sydney and I went to university and um, I started my course, which was a course in business and law, and I really was not enjoying it. And so given that the university timetable was very, very light in terms of the number of hours involved, I decided to get into the retail industry and to um, start working in the fashion industry. And I learned very, very quickly that I was good at selling. And, um, and there were many principles that I brought into my selling and I was actually using it very much as a learning experience as I was going along. Because to me, selling is about meeting the needs of another person. It's not about me trying to sell as much product as I possibly can. And so in order to do that, I had to seek to understand what it was that people needed. And then I had to present it to them in a way that I was giving them choice and not overwhelming them. And then I was creating relationships and rapport with them that were going beyond the transaction of the one sale that I was making to them on that particular day. And so I started to actually work out the systems and the reverse engineering of how to keep a client for a long time to the extent that in the fashion retail business that I was in, people would ask for the specific days when I was going to be working because they would want to come in and update their wardrobe when I was there. So I was very good at sales. And I thought, wow, this is really interesting in terms of how I am doing this and why I am doing this. And so I then um, ended up working for a ballet shoe company that had a lot of retail stores and and wanted to um, expand their retail group. And so at a very young age, you know, around the age of 19, um, I was their um, national manager expanding their retail group and training um, sales assistants in how to sell product and really get rapport with people. And um, I really enjoyed that. And I had finished the expansion of this retail group very quickly. So the building projects were all happening and my employer absolutely loved me. And then I turned around to him one day and said to him, I'm leaving. And I was only 20 years old at this stage. So I did this all very quickly. 
And, um, and he said to me, you know, where are you going? What's your next job? Can I compete with that? You know, what can I, what can I do with that? I really would like you to stay. And I said to him, well, no, actually I'm retiring. And so I knew that you would be upset about this. So I've given you a retirement letter instead of a resignation letter, because I want you to know that you're going to be my last employer and that Mm. I'm going out to, to work for myself. And, you know, to be honest, 26 years later, as a, you know, as a woman in my mid forties, I look back on that and I think, you know, if any 20 year old turned around and and said that to me, you know, I would just laugh at them and think, oh, you know, these young upstarts and what do they think and what do they know? But it's a true story. And anyway, he has very generously followed my career and has commented to me from time to time when he's been in touch with me that he's most impressed that I kept my word and that I haven't worked for anybody else since since that time so um i went out to work out how i could expand the sales and expand the way in which um, businesses were communicating with their clients in order to create a high level of rapport and to bring a high level of integrity um, into what they were doing in terms of how they were selling so when you left that job, did you, so then did you start a consulting practice in that yeah. area? And, and so how did you, did you already have a client lined up? How did you land your first clients? So I had applied for a couple of um, opportunities that were like short-term contracts. And so my first client actually ended up being my former employer. Um, and so he said to me, look, I have a project for you. Would you be interested in doing this project? So I actually ended up with three clients very, very quickly who were all in a similar retail industry where they were wanting to expand. They had a high element of fashion in what they were doing in their businesses. Um, generally, they were employing a lot of young people, a lot of young women, in fact. And so I ended up with, with three quite small projects And um, I then had an extremely fast lesson in what not to do in entrepreneurship, Hmm. which is... Tell us about that. (laughs) Which is to basically be completely unprepared financially for the fact that whatever you are earning will go down and you will be spending a lot of money promoting yourself to get started. And so I literally for, you know, even a couple of years lived off my Visa card uh, credit limit um, and basically just operated off my Visa card credit limit probably for the space of the first maybe two to three years of my business. And it was a very scary time for me living like that. And my parents had offered to support me and I had said to them, no, I really need to learn what it is that I need to do lifestyle-wise and work-wise in order for me to you know, actually live by this decision that I have made and to be able to move forth with that. And so, you know, I call it a lot of smoke and mirrors in that stage. You know, you obviously want people who you're dealing with to have a high level of regard for you and you don't want to put out this aura that you are struggling and desperate for their business. And yet at the same time, you know, you have to make sure that you price yourself appropriately and um, deliver great results in order to be able to grow your business. So my first lesson was that I was completely unprepared financially for what I had stepped into. Um, and, and that was very difficult. That was very difficult for me at a very young age. 
Yeah. Did you uh, borrow any money or did you just bootstrap it like you described by tightening down and and uh, making sure you, you just spent what you had? I didn't borrow deliberately. Um, I decided to just bootstrap. And I'm really glad that I did that because I think that what that taught me was it taught me innovation. Um, it also uh, made me have to really think about the choices that I was making with regard to um, who I was going to choose as my clients. You know, I had a, a couple of really unfortunate incidents with people that I decided to do work with who intuitively I knew were not of the same kind of um, belief system that I had. And so, you know, working with people that don't have the same values as you can sometimes be a little bit challenging, particularly when you're consulting to them. And so I had a couple of, you know, unfortunate experiences with that. Thankfully, I learned my lesson after the second one um, where, you know, I had priced a particular project and all of a sudden the project ended up being expanded to something that was far greater than I had priced. And, of course, I was left to do all of this work for which there was virtually no reward. And so we've all done it. Um, but yeah, yes, especially that, early on when we chase opportunities that, that, that we know are not a good fit, but we're desperate for it. Absolutely. And, and the other one is, you know, one of the chapters in, in my book about expansive leadership, where I talk about pro bono, who are you kidding? You know, all this, all this pro bono work, like pro bono happens when you're, an ex, when you, you know, at a high level of success in your business and you decide for philanthropic reasons to do some work for somebody who can't afford to pay you and you do that work for free for them. But what yeah, happens- The, other, the if, other way that we lie to ourselves is, well, I'm learning, so at least I learned something and you got to call, call that out for what it is as well, right? Absolutely. And it's not called pro bono. You know, it's actually called, you know, wanting to do work for experience and young people do that and it's called work experience, you know, and so, and so that is a completely different scenario. So after I had started in the first um, couple of years, um, I became very good at um, referring to other people when I was asked to do work that wasn't my exact niche. So what I would do is if somebody came to me and said, Madeline, could you do X, Y, Z for me? And that wasn't part of my niche. I would say, you know what? I don't do that. But let me recommend somebody who I know does it and who I know does it really, really well. And so I became really, really good at sharing this with other small business people so that I could refer and recommend clients to them for the sorts of services that they provided. And I, I remember one day somebody picked up the phone and rang me and said, you know what, you send us so much business and we don't send you anything. And I said, well, it's not an intentional thing that I send you all of that. It's that you're very good at what you do in that area. And so if people ask me, I'm always going to recommend you. And I said to them also, I said, I believe in the power of giving that is not a two-way street. In other words, if I give to you, you must give to me. I believe it's a universal concept. And so what happens is, is that the world is a round place. And if the energy that I give to you is that I am giving you business, other people who aren't you will also give the same back to me because whatever I give out, I receive back a hundredfold. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so I, I did that. And then I landed my first big break. Interesting. Because somebody came to me and they said, 
the Olympic Games is going to be on in Australia and there's a bid. Well, they were hoping the Olympic Games was going to be on in Australia. There's a bid for the Olympic Games and we need somebody to design the retail program for that. Would you be interested in doing a project to design what the retail program is going to be like if Sydney gets the 2000 Olympic Games? And so I took on that project with the, with the Australian government to put that program together. And here I was in my early 20s being given this terrific opportunity. Uh, Sydney won the bid for the Olympic Games. And um, one of my consulting clients then from 1996 um, through to 2001 became the Sydney 2000 Olympic Games. So um, in that project, um, there was a, a mandate to deliver back to the government through the merchandise program, which involved myself as a consultant and a large team of employed people. I was the only consultant there. Um, we had to deliver $72 million to the project and to the government for that. That was our budget. And we ended up bringing in about $86 million. Wow. Fantastic results. What an incredible opportunity that was. Again, because you had you had laid the foundation for it for so many years, and uh, and there it came. I want to go back to though when you left your job at twenty. Around that time, did you also leave school? Did I get that right, or did you finish university? No, I actually left. I didn't finish my degree. So um, let me ask you a question about that. If somebody, if a twenty-year-old, let's say it was you know, your child or a friend or someone, asks you, should I take the same path you did? What would your recommendation be? Okay. Um, my recommendation would be that they, I think it's very important for people to commit to a lifetime of learning. Okay. So even though I didn't finish my university qualification, um, at this point in my life, I think I probably spend about $50,000 a year on my education still today. Okay. So I am spending a lot of money attending conferences, learning, um, doing, I do a lot of online e-course learning. I am continually learning. So it is a little bit wrong for me to say I left university and that's where my education stopped. My education is actually a lifetime journey and I will continue to do that forever. So, um, you know, I have a business mentor who I learn from um, and who I, you know, work with almost on a weekly basis. And I've committed myself to a lifetime of learning. It's not the traditional let's get a university degree learning. But, you know, as, as, as you pointed out earlier, I'm a trainer of neuro-linguistic programming. That's a, that's a learning process that took me five years, you know, as an, as an adult. You know, I didn't do it when I was, a, um, you know, in my early 20s. I did it much later on when I realized that there were skills that I wanted to expand on in terms of communication. That was the time that I chose that particular learning. But every year I commit myself to a tremendous amount of education. Right. And I, and that makes complete sense. I'm, I come from the same situation where I didn't go to university or didn't finish, but, but I still, I'm struggle with my daughter, for example, has gone off to university. I struggle with, as it comes to entrepreneurship, whether it is better to just learn, as you said, as you go lifelong ongoing basis, or do you look back, is there at any point where you think, gosh, I, I wish I would have finished that degree never. or has it not played a role? It's never played a role. Yeah, it's that's not surprising, of course. I was just curious as to your thoughts on it. Yeah, and, and and I do believe that it is important for some people to have that structure. And and you know, one of my brothers, as I pointed out earlier, is is a professor of architecture, and he's still very involved in the universities in in architecture. But obviously, that's a particular skill set that is 
is you know really important that that the learning happens in that structured environment so you know i think as we progress as as the years go by and and certainly in the next decade of of um, commercialization that we're going to see there are going to be a lot more younger people making decisions around their university education and when to study based on the fact that entrepreneurship i don't think is taught through that university system right Um, yeah, no, there's no doubt. It's it's really changing the landscape of how people do that and not so much in the traditional way. This is Henry Lopez, co-host of the How of Business podcast. Do you want to be your own boss and start your own business? Do you aspire to be an entrepreneur and enjoy the freedom of time and location? So what's holding you back from getting started? How do you know if you're actually ready to be your own boss? I would like to invite you to join me for an online program that will help you clearly understand if you are in fact ready. And if you're not quite ready, what you need to do to get there. Perhaps you need help understanding and overcoming your fears. Maybe you're not entirely sure about what it really takes to be ready, willing, and able to become your own boss. My online program is about helping you take the first critical steps towards realizing your dreams of entrepreneurship. I will take you step-by-step through a process that will help you determine if you are in fact ready to be your own boss and specifically identify what you need to do next. To find out more about my online program, please visit thehowofbusiness.com for more information. All right, I want to start diving into a bit more into this lateral thinking entrepreneurship. And I'd like to start with a definition of what that means. What is lateral thinking entrepreneurship? Okay, so I worked out over the years that what I do is I reverse engineer everything I do. So I'm looking at things from a very different perspective to start off with. And then I'm always working from the end and, and coming backwards in how, I, in how I actually will achieve the goal. So rather than looking at the, the big picture and going, okay, let's just dive into it and go forward, I actually start with the end and then work backwards. And then what, the next level of what I'm doing is I'm looking at, at each task or each activity that needs to be done within that. And I'm always asking myself a higher quality question around that. How could that be done easily? How could that be done differently? Who are the examples that I could look at out there in the business world who have achieved exactly this? How can I follow their steps in what I'm doing? So what I do is instead of actually looking straight into a problem or straight into an opportunity or a challenge, I rise above that opportunity and challenge and look down on it as though I'm actually, because I'm a highly visual person, looking down on it as though I'm looking at the finished product and working out, okay, how can I best get to this with the easiest resource use possible and doing it at the absolute highest degree possible by looking at other people or other organizations who have succeeded in this area. Does that make sense? And this approach, yeah, it's starting to make sense, certainly. And this approach of observation as well, do you feel like it takes longer or is it faster than maybe the more traditional entrepreneurial approach of developing it from scratch, maybe. Um, so I'm curious as to have, have you found that this is faster or about the same or it doesn't really come into play? You, you, do you understand what I'm asking? Yes, I do understand what you're asking. And that's a really great question. And it's not an easy question for me to answer because I've always done it this way. 
And so, you know, for, for me, you know, right now, you know, I, I'm running several businesses, um, including, you know, one business that is in the healthcare sector and I'm, I'm not a healthcare uh, qualified person by any stretch, but I'm running a multi-million dollar business in the healthcare sector. Um, and, you know, I'm the only person in that profession that isn't actually, um, it's mm. in the chiropractic industry. I'm the only person that runs a large business in that profession that isn't actually a doctor of chiropractic in my country. And yeah, so, that's a great example. I'd like to go back to when, when did you first identify others oh, a need here? And maybe we can apply this approach that you take of reverse engineering to how you came up with this business. With yeah, the chiropractic okay. business. All right. Yeah. So, so, so that's, that's quite an interesting thing. Um, I, I think this speaks to me going higher and higher and higher and looking for the highest level of what can be achieved and what needs to be achieved in terms of entrepreneurship. Okay. So, you know, a lot of people, when they first consider, for instance, wanting to get out of corporate life and getting into a business life, that is more entrepreneurial and has them directing their own time and their own income. A lot of people do that because they're actually sick and tired. And I mean, actually physically sick and physically tired of the grind of day to day in terms of what they're doing with their jobs. They're feeling completely unappreciated. A lot of people have a high level of adrenal exhaustion um, and they, they want to be able to direct their own time and their own income. And so that is often the first catalyst for somebody wanting to start their own business. Okay. And so with that, as an entrepreneur and with what I, with what I looked at in, in my own business, I thought, you know what, this healthcare sector and in particular, the sick care sector isn't working. And so many, many years ago, I, with an interest in health and with an interest in knowing that the healthiest people are the people that look after themselves when they are healthy. Okay. There needs to be more communication and more expansion of this in order to be able to help people to be more successful as business people in all areas of their life, whether they're in corporate or whether they're in entrepreneurship. This level of understanding around health needs to change and needs to shift. Okay. So then I thought, okay, how can I do this congruently? The only way that I thought I could do this congruently was actually to put my hat in the arena and to run a successful health care business, not a sick care business, but a healthcare business that promotes well-being and well-being care and to actually help doctors to be very, very successful in doing that, in looking after people and keeping them healthy. So that was why I decided to get into this industry. All right. And so once you made that decision based on these observations of the needs out there, how did you then reverse engineer how to build one? Because like you said, you hadn't been a chiropractor. You hadn't even worked in a chiropractic office, I suspect, yet you figured out how to build a very successful practice. So where, where did you start? How does then now that reverse engineering or lateral thinking, how did it come into play to figure out how to build this? Okay. So the first thing that I'm going to share is success through others. Okay. So of course, I needed to make sure that I aligned myself, first of all, with a very successful practice and a very successful practitioner and could bring to that practice something that that practice didn't have. So here, here's a one-man band chiropractor who is extremely good at what he does, but very limited in terms of being able to expand a business and create a brand. Okay, so applying my principles of what I do success through others, bringing the best people in and creating a business that can create success through other people, number one. Number two, create a brand. 
actually put out there. Instead of the brand being Dr. Name, create a name for that brand, a name for that brand that actually says what you do, you know, because a lot of people go out there and they start a new business and they call it something that has absolutely nothing to do with what they do and they wonder why nobody understands what their business is all about. So, you know, what? if you're a chiropractic practice, make sure that you have the word Cairo in your name. Okay, so created a business that was built not just on the name of the doctor, but was actually built on a business name, which could then attract other great people to come in, offer those people what they needed, which was business mentoring so that they could expand, grow, bring in clients, you know, develop their own business because I wanted each of them to have six figure incomes, you know, which is not easy for, for, for people to achieve these days, especially, you know, in the healthcare sector in chiropractic. I, I know it's very similar in the United States to the way it is in Australia. But, you know, a lot of these businesses, when they're working with clients, and it doesn't necessarily just have to be in this industry, find it very difficult to get customers. So I taught them how to get customers, how to retain customers, how to process their week so that they could make it highly efficient how to cluster their time so that they were working really efficiently in the times that they were in the office, but also had time to go out and do marketing for their business. So basically taught them all the business principles that I needed. Then what I did was I became a partner in the business and then eventually I bought the entire business myself. I see, I see. So you found a successful chiropractic firm where it had a good doctor, a good reputation, probably a good base clientele, the, the quality of the services were there, but they were missing that packaging, that branding, that marketing component. You came in, added that expertise, turned it now into a business, like you said, that was not dependent on the doctor's name, but a brand that you've established. And now doctors can come and go and you still have this successful presence in your market. Absolutely. And not even dependent on that doctor. Because what happened with this doctor was that, you know, he was seeing a large number of clients and he was burning his own health out in the process sure, of doing that. Sure, and yeah. so what I said to him was, you know what, you can't work 12 hours, five days a week and then six hours on a Saturday. That's not going to work. So by you having some other associates in this business where, you know, you're, you're taking 50% of their earnings as part of, you know, running the business and marketing, then you can be profitable and have time to yourself. So you can actually start leveraging. And that's when you know you've got a business because before that, a lot of people go into entrepreneurship or go into their own business and they call it their own business. But actually what they're doing is they're actually just taking on an extension of their job because when they're not there, they're not earning any money. That's right. Yeah. It's that classic trading time for money and, and there's only so much of that you can do. Absolutely. And so you know, by leveraging, by, by, you know, so, so this particular doctor, incredibly skilled at what he did, terrific opportunity for him to be able to teach other people, particularly, you know, younger new graduates or, or pe people who were, you know, quite early in their profession, his amazing skill set as a doctor. So focusing on what he was good at, we made sure that he mentored these people in what he was good at, which was technique, client care, you know, how to put people on, on the right, uh, program in order to get them well in the first place and then keep them on a program in order to keep them well. So he did all of that side of things. Great skill set at that. What I did was I did the marketing, the business planning, the structure, made sure that the administration was run really, really well. The administration team was a, of a very high caliber. And all of a sudden, you know, you end up with this dynamic business that, um, 
you know, you're not working 100 hours a week in order to achieve it. I mean, in fact, now with, with my chiropractic business, um, I, I literally probably spend about five hours a week on that business. It's a multi-million dollar business. It's fantastic. All right. I'd like to dive in a little bit more if you could share, obviously in the books you cover and specifically I'm curious on, you talk about practical ways to reverse engineering your business success. So if we're thinking of someone, for example, who has an existing business, if you could share a couple more tips on how they can apply this lateral thinking approach to improving an existing business. Okay. So the first thing I think that's really important to improving an existing business is to actually become really good at anticipation. Okay. So what often happens in business and in markets is that things change. Even with government changes, things change. And, and you know very well about that in the United States at, at the moment with your you know, change of presidency, that that brings up all kinds of different opportunities, but it also brings up all kinds of different fears in people. And, and you know, people start changing their spending habits, their employment habits. You know, there's a lot of shifts that happen all the time. So in business, the first thing that I would suggest is that anticipation is extremely important. Always be a step ahead ahead of what might be happening within your industry, within and opportunities that, does that, in the market. Does that tie back in your experience to that uh, being observant, always learning, always being aware and not staying stagnant? That all ties together, I believe. Yeah, it definitely ties together, you know, and but but also even beyond that, you know, I mean, I've had many scenarios where, you know, I, intuitively and I think it's really important that as entrepreneurs that people listen to their intuition because often people kick themselves later and they go you know what I had a feeling that that might happen and I didn't do anything about it mm. you know I had a really interesting one just recently in in my business where you know we had we had an administration assistant in the business and you know I could just see that there were certain behaviors coming through in this person that couldn't be mentored couldn't be coached there were things going on in this person's personal life that obviously weren't working out and there were all kinds of wobbly things happening within the work environment as a consequence of that. So I sat down and I thought, okay, how am I actually going to anticipate what's going to happen next with this? Because whether it happens tomorrow in six months or in a year, if this person leaves at really, really short notice, this is a problem. This is a big problem. And so what I did was I first of all sat and I narrowed the playpen with that particular situation. So I actually, instead of ignoring it, I actually confronted it and sat down and had the difficult conversations that needed to be had around what was going on with this person so that I could really understand and hear from them, again, the power of observation, to actually find out what was going on, not keeping it in the background and pretending it wasn't happening. You know, I spoke to a client of mine the other day who said, you know, I felt intuitively that this supplier was going to let me down and I didn't do anything about it. And, you know, in hindsight, he said there are probably five or six other companies that I could have had lined up to supply, which would have meant that I could have had continual supply of my product in the market. And I wouldn't have even needed to make a commitment to these people, but they would have been able to move very quickly if something fell over. And I didn't anticipate even though intuitively I had a feeling that something was going to go wrong. In your observation, why do you think it is, especially as ex when we're experienced? Because we know that that intuition comes from years of experience that we then call intuition, but it's really fueled by, I've seen this, I've smelled this, I've been here before, yet we, we don't pay attention to it often. Why do you, in your observation, is that the case? That very seasoned people 
who should be trusting their intuition and yet they don't? Why is that? You know, it's it, that's a terrific question because, you know, in all honesty, we don't know where this comes from, okay? So what happens is is that sometimes I think with intuition, people think that they're telling themselves stories, okay? And this kind of plays back to, you know, what we talked about earlier, which is the isolation of early entrepreneurship, okay? So when you have a lot of time with your own thoughts, what tends to happen is you start to get these little stories happening in your head about how things might be or how things really are. And sometimes it's very difficult to differentiate with that. Okay. And so I'm going to share something with you that is extremely powerful in terms of being able to use your intuition and use it really, really well without having to second guess it. Okay. So what I do with my intuition is this. I'm very I think it's very important for people to set up the right affirmations of what it is that they are looking for to achieve in their business or achieve in any area of their life. When you set that up properly, okay, I believe that, you know, if we could see a, a little, you know, invisible antenna coming out of the top of our heads, that our little antenna system within our being will then go and try and find that. Okay, so if you are absolutely clear and defined on, you know, universe, please deliver me X, Y, Z for my highest good and for the highest good of everyone that I deal with in my business, and you absolutely are completely congruent with that, okay, then you are more than welcome and should listen to every single bit of intuition that you get because you have actually asked for it, okay? If you are a rudderless person who actually has not set out really strong intentions of what it is that you want, who doesn't have a holistic view of why you want that and what you're actually going to contribute to society by doing what you're doing because all of our work in entrepreneurship is about contribution. It's not about, you know, it's not about self. It's actually about other people and about how we contribute to other people in order to create this flow of success for ourselves. Okay. If you don't have that and then you start listening to your intuition, yeah, you may get some, you know, incorrect information coming through with that that probably you don't want to trust. Sure, sure. The other thing I've tried, Madeline, that, that has worked for me is sharing that intuition with someone that I trust and respect. And ideally, that's someone who's also an entrepreneur or a coach or a mentor. And and nine times out of ten, if not more, just in sharing it with that person, I already know the answer, which is follow your intuition. Absolutely. And I think that's really, really important. And I, I am a mentor. I, so I mentor people in business yeah. to help them succeed. And, um, you know, it's a very big part of, of what I do. And I myself have a mentor as well. And my mentors have changed over the years, depending on what it is that I have needed in my business so I, or, and my life. So there have been various times in my life, for instance, where I have wanted to, to do more personal development as opposed to business development. And at those particular times, I have chosen a mentor that is more a personal development mentor, skilling me in personal development skills. And then at other times, it's been more business expansion that I have been interested in. So I have chosen a mentor that can help me with business expansion. Um, so it's important not only to have mentors, but to choose the right mentors at the right time. And interestingly enough, I found that most of my mentoring has covered a three-year period, and then I have moved on to somebody else after three years. Interesting. And that's been, and that's been a trend for me. Yeah. All right. Uh, let me take a turn here. What uh, would you say is that you do today that you love the most? What do you love the most about what you do today? You know, I was um, working with um, 
some of my staff the other day and also just thinking about the success that I have with my clients that I mentor. And the thing that I love the most is actually seeing the accomplishment of the people that I work with. So, you know, the other night I was having dinner with some people and I was thinking about the fact that, you know, just in my own chiropractic business in my office, you know, there are 15 people in there at the moment who, you know, are going home to beautiful homes, who drive lovely cars, who have amazing lifestyles. You know, two of my staff members this year are going on, you know, the holidays of a lifetime in terms of, you know, traveling um, overseas. One of them's going for five weeks and another one's going for four weeks. And, you know, I, I was thinking about the contribution to other people through, um, what I, how I'm able to inspire them and how I'm able to help them. They are doing the work and yet the results that they're getting are fantastic. And that to me brings me so much joy and so much happiness. And similarly with my uh, mentoring clients, you know, I, I have a, a really great strategy of making sure that we measure their success in what they do. And, um, you know, I was um, having a review of that over the last couple of years, um, just a couple of months ago. And three of the businesses um, that I work with have tripled in the time that I've been working with them, which for one of them has only been just over a year. Um, and, um, and all of the businesses have grown by more than 50%. And yeah. one of the businesses that I work with, who I only just started working with late last year, is on the most amazing expansion curve. And that to me is, is wonderful. That makes me really, really happy seeing other people succeed. Makes me really happy. Yeah, it's inspiring, inspiring. All right, we've touched on the things you offer through your business, the lateral thinking entrepreneur, you do mentoring, you do business coaching, you have the books. Did we miss anything that we need to mention there as to how you engage with your clients? No, I think we've covered it, actually. I think that um, okay. pretty much covers it, you know. Good. All right, so let me ask you, uh, besides your books, is there a book that comes to mind that you would recommend to us? Yes, there is. Um the book that started my career as an entrepreneur was a book by Tony Robbins, by Anthony Robbins, called Awaken the Giant Within. For me, it's always a book that I will go back to even though the pages have gone a bit yellow um, and it's been highlighted many times over. But for, for entrepreneurship, that book changed my life because it, it provided me with a deep understanding of the capabilities of every human soul and how to actually tap into that and how to actually stand in the power of that. And I read that book when I was about 19, 20 years old. Um, and that to me was a turning point. So that's my turning point book. And, um, you know, as a consequence of that, I actually have done all of Anthony Robbins' programs, literally. Um, you know, I've traveled the world to attend his courses and seminars as, as part of my commitment to my own education. But for entrepreneurship, it is an amazing book and I really recommend that one. Yeah, it's, it's a great one. Thanks for that recommendation. And we'll have links to that book as well as your two books. Again, it's The Lateral Thinking Entrepreneur. There's two versions of it, um, different subject matters, but those will be linked as well on the show notes page of this episode at thehowofbusiness.com. All right, we'll wrap it up. Last question to you is parting thought. I'd like to also, I'd like to maybe keep it on the topic of 
what I wanted to get away with, which we have, which is this whole concept of how do we apply lateral thinking entrepreneurship to our business. So maybe a parting thought as it relates to that, to an existing business owner and what they should do along those lines to get started applying that in their business. Okay. So every business owner that I work with and that I talk to has a dream. And in order to be able to turn that dream into a reality, you have to make it a plan. So when you reverse engineer something and when you think laterally, you have to start with an expansive dream. Do not let go of that expansive dream. But sit down with that dream at the end of a piece of paper. Put the paper, you know, not lengthwise, but, but, um, but horizontal. Put that dream at the end and then write backwards to the beginning of that piece of paper, the steps that you need to take to get there. And with that, you have actually turned your dream into a plan. And that's what you need to do in order to succeed. So you're in your business, you're already, you know, achieving goals, you're already, you know, growing, and you want to take that to the next level and you want to actually make it quantum. Get the dream. Remember what the dream was. Sit down with your dream. Never let go of that, but remind yourself of it and then start at the end and work backwards with the steps and make that dream a plan. That's my parting thought. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful tip. Um, question to clarify. The, the dream at the end on the right side of the paper is big. It's audacious. How detailed is that last piece of it to the left of the paper where you start as you work your way back how how detailed should it be is it at is it at the tactical level is it a, a maybe a quarterly goal how how back how far back do you go to make it effective you know what simplify to multiply it has to be simple okay our brains do not function with overwhelm at all. And this is one of the reasons why I'm in the healthcare industry, because our brains do not function with overwhelm. We become um, very adrenal when we are overwhelmed. So, so the simplicity of it should be that if you pick up the phone and make a phone call today that you have been putting off, then that is an important step in you achieving your dream. So it's not about big stuff. It's not, a, not even about quarterly goals. It's actually about what you're going to do today and it might be something really simple like, you know, emailing somebody that you know can provide something for you or, um, you know, picking up the phone and making a phone call that you haven't made or ringing your accountant and financial, ad and financial advisor and locking in a time to, to catch up with them for an hour. Simple, simple tasks. Otherwise, we don't do anything because yeah, we become overwhelmed. Right. And that makes sense, Madeline. That, that tells me, though, if I'm following that I need to revise this on a regular basis then. You know what? You need to be revising it every all the time. You know, I mean, we go to sleep every single night and we dream every single night. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Great, great takeaway. Good actionable tip there. All right. We'll wrap it up with that. Madeline, it's been an interesting conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time for taking the time of your Sunday morning to be with us today and sharing all this great knowledge. It's been really wonderful talking to you today, Henry. And, you know, for me, I get so much joy out of just, you know, getting onto podcasts and sharing what it is that I do so that I can help people to, um, to really expand and really grow and, and, and live in a space of absolute happiness in what they're doing. So it's, it brings so much joy to me to be able to have these opportunities to be able to, to reach out and share some fun stories and some 
good information. So I want to thank you for giving me the honor of, of being able to do this and have this conversation with you today. Thank you. You're welcome. It was our pleasure. And so folks, this is Henry Lopez. Thanks for listening to this episode of the How of Business. If you've joined us on Stitcher or iTunes, we would welcome and thank you for subscribing to our show. And we look forward to having you join us on the next episode of the How of Business. Thank you for listening to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez. We hope you found practical ideas to help you start, manage, and grow your business. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave a comment on iTunes and go by LevanteBusinessGroup.com and learn more about Levante's resources to help you with your small business. Until next time, thanks for listening and go live your dream.